Thank you for your patience. So we're starting a new series today called Sanctify. <laughs> and it's going to take us on a journey through the scriptures over the next six or seven weeks. Um, and I thought it would be good just to start with our initial thoughts on what this word means. Or even more so, what this word means. Um, any thoughts on the word sanctification? To be holy. Set aside. Set aside. Love it. Place of sanctuary. Bringing us near to God. Process. A process. <coughs> any more? These are good. I think maybe I should preach on something else. You guys have got it nailed. <laughs> I think I think the first thought for some of us is that it's a long word, and that we we tend to run away from long, complicated words um, unless you're one of those people that absolutely loves words and loves breaking them down and finding what they mean. Um, for some, this would ring uh, slightly religious bells. Um, uh, pious bells, maybe, that um, this is something about being super holy, uh, the holy life, maybe a little bit of uh, uh, self-denial in here, and um, maybe a little bit rule-based, if, if it feels religious in your ears. For many of us, it may be the process of becoming more Christian, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like God intended us to be. Um, to progress in it as a process, as a Christian. All these thoughts maybe spring to mind. What does it mean? Well, let's go on a word journey first. So, um, the word sanctify comes from the Latin word sanctus, uh, which means holy. Uh, so you move through sanctificare to sanctifier, in Old French, and then late Middle English, we end up with this word, sanctify. So that's where it comes from. But, if you really want to understand what this word means, you have to go beyond the Latin. You have to go back a bit further, because the Latin is a translation of the New Testament Greek. And that New Testament Greek word is hagiosmos. And this means basically being set apart in the sense of being set apart from all else and dedicated for Yahweh God's use. Sanctification involves separation, dedication, purity, consecration, and service. So to sanctify something is to set it apart from everyday use for God and his purposes. Are you with me? In the Old Testament, all kinds of things were sanctified. So we end up with like utensils used in the temple that were sanctified. They were set apart. Even though they were just bits of gold and silver, they were tools, they were set apart for the purpose of being used in the sanctuary. Therefore, they were considered to be sanctified or holy. In the same way, the animals, uh, that are just normal animals running around the pen on the farms, that were used for sacrifice were set apart from the flock and set aside for use, use with a holy purpose. Um, so when the lamb was placed upon the altar, it became special. It became dedicated unto God in a very special way and for God's purposes. It was no longer the same as all the others. <coughs> it was made special unto the Lord. 
set apart and used for his purposes. So to be sanctified is to be set apart unto God. And you and I are invited to be a sanctified people. So for you and I to be sanctified unto God, it means to consciously and intentionally separate yourself off from the norms and demands and seductions of the world in order to be available and prepared and employed in God's plans and purposes. Amen? That doesn't sound too boring. That sounds like a good journey to go on. So is it a process? Yes, it's a process. But I want to put it to you that it's not like a process where we're trying to reach an end point. If it were, the closest we could come to it is say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to learn to become more like the Son of God. But it can be easy to think that, it, that sanctification is a process whereby we become perfectly holy and therefore we are such a long way off from that that we kind of throw our hands up and say, well, sanctification, I'm not very good at that process. Does that make sense? <coughs> so it is a process. But I want to say to you, it's more helpful to think of it this way and it is more true, I think, to think of it this way. That sanctification is both a decision and a lifestyle. It's a description as well of, every, of the lifestyle of every spirit-filled believer in Christ. So sanctification is partly about learning to throw off sin and live clean lives, but it's far more than that. It's about allowing God to take us by the hand, to help us off the mundane carousel of existence and craving after things, and leading us out and setting us apart to a completely different kind of life, walking in his glorious purposes. Walking in holiness through trust and obedience on a day-to-day -day basis. Abraham understood this. Abraham was somebody who God declared righteous. God declared him as a holy man. Why? Was it because Abraham was really good at being nice? I don't know. Was it because he was very good at avoiding sin? Ish. There was a, a few pitfalls in his life, wasn't there? He wasn't very good at telling the truth all the time. Uh, what was it that made God declare him as holy and righteous? What was it that God turned God's head and said, look at this one, look how holy he is. It was because he allowed God to set him apart from everybody else in humanity. So when God first approached Abraham, he approached him while he was in relative comfort in his hometown, surrounded by his friends, his family, relative prosperity and wealth. And all God said to him is I want you to come with me and I want, I've got this idea I want to make you a blessing and I want to show you a land that I want to give to you and your descendants how about that? are you, are you up for it? come with me and what Abraham did is he just simply said yes and he began to move in the direction that God had called him to move it was a question of trust and obedience God looked at that trust and obedience in Abraham and said 
there's a holy man. So there is a very close connection between this trust and obedience and being willing to be set apart when God says, I want you to come away from all your comfort zones and everything that you are, and I want you to step into my plans and ideas. There's a link between being willing to do that and being declared holy before God. That's interesting, isn't it? Not just about behaving ourselves. <coughs> Romans 4 verse 3 says, God credited his obedience to him, his faith as righteousness. So God saw him doing that and said, well, look at my son, look how holy he is. And it came down to a choice that then developed into a lifestyle. In fact, it was the same with anybody who did anything interesting or adventurous or inspiring in the scriptures. Every single one of them had a moment where they had a choice. Am I going to allow God to set me apart for this? Or am I going to stay where I am? Will I quietly, in the quietness of my own heart and in the privacy of my own life, quietly say no to what God is putting before me? That's the choice. And I believe that that is the same choice. That that is the choice that is put to every single person that comes to Christ. You and me. God doesn't just hand out special invitations to special people to stand apart from the normal believers to do special things. He doesn't just separate us into those two categories. (coughs) Boring Christians with one foot in the world who don't hear God very well or feel involved in his plans and super awesome Christians who are set apart from the rest with a hotline to heaven and a wonderful unfolding destiny full of miracles. It's not just two categories here. You're not an A Christian or a B Christian, okay? He doesn't do that. He just hands out one invite to all and lets us decide if we're up for it. That's what he does. Just to make a point. This is Hebrews 10.10. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Who has been sanctified? All. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's where our sanctification was purchased for us. No one is disqualified. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have said yes to what Jesus did on the cross, you are qualified for what Jesus calls sanctification. Another one. Okay, this is in the context of people who have messed up their lives. How many people here have messed up your life in some way or another? <coughs> Good company. Some of us feel disqualified from, the, from sainthood and being sanctified people from being God's special ones because we've messed up our lives so badly in the past. If that's you, hear what Paul is saying here uh, in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Such were some of you. So he's just gone through a list of all the kind of ways you can mess up your life, okay? Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So this is something that has happened. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, 
you were sanctified, you were set apart unto God and his purposes. Sometimes our minds and our hearts take a little while to catch up with that truth. Because we're still full of all of our failures and all of our regrets and all of the ways that we don't even trust ourselves with our own lives, let alone trust ourselves with God's purposes. Does that make sense? Why would God choose me to do special things with him if I've not always got it right even in my own little old life? And yet, the scriptures are clear. All of us are invited to be a sanctified people. So it's not just for a privileged few. Everything we're going to look at in this series is about what is on offer from God that applies to each of us. None of us are disqualified or classed as second rate. None of us are, ex are accepted by God for heaven, but somehow rejected from his plans or his power. Everything comes along with this invitation to be sanctified and is available to all who have said yes to him. Ultimately, if you say yes to walking in God's plans, your past can never disqualify us. It can never disqualify you at all. When you say yes to God, you also say yes to his wisdom. You say yes to his guidance. You say yes to his help and his blessing. It's not just on us to succeed anyway. Does that make sense? It's 95% him and 5% us learning to trust him. That's really how I believe it is in the Christian life. It's not on us. It's not down to any of us to have to achieve this. So it doesn't matter what our track record is. It's about how we go forward and how we connect with him and how we allow him to shape us and to speak to us. So we can all start this series in the same place. All of us are invited to be sanctified, set apart for God's pleasure and God's plans. And we can also acknowledge that not every believer says a full and life-changing yes to God. Is that true? Many Christians say yes to the call to try to live without sin, but never say yes to this call to live in his glorious plans. Many want to live out the clean or sinless part of sanctification, but find it easier to leave the plans that we were set apart for to others because it involves taking risks and acting on dubious promptings of the Holy Spirit. Anyone found that difficult in the past? We can admire people who speak at our conferences and write books, who have seen God do the most extraordinary things with them and through them, and answered the most extraordinary prayers. And we can feel inspired to, to think to ourselves, God is so good and I want more of him in my life and I want to see God working more in my life because I've seen something wonderful working through these people. And then it can be true for some of us that we come home from the conference or we close the book and the inspiration slowly ebbs away and we settle back into routine. Yeah. Do you ever feel like that? When you've been around this cycle a few times, it's easy to feel that this <coughs> two classes of Christians is a real thing. Them and us. Rock star saints and normal people like you and me. 
We can read about times and places where people have turned their workplaces or community upside down with the blessing of God and had wonderful, lasting impacts, dripping with wonderful stories and miracles. And we can think to ourselves, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Have you ever had that thought go through your mind? Well, if there's an answer to that question, I want to suggest that it's probably just that many of these people have simply made a life choice to always say yes to God when he quietly invited them into his next plan. And they're serious about responding to his prompts with trust and obedience. They don't make excuses why they can't respond to God or reason themselves out of his plans because they just don't seem to make perfect sense. They don't say in their hearts that they don't have enough money or confidence or experience. (coughs) They don't back out because they're afraid or listen to faithless advisors. They just say yes to God. Like a child on an adventure with a dad who knows what he's doing. That's all. How many of you have read Dirty Glory? Hands. That's about a quarter of you or something. I want to recommend that book. It's the story of the 24-7 prayer movement. And I've been massively inspired by the stories in this book. And, um, and what the movement is as a whole. And I want to share a little bit w- with you. Um, I've been listening to it on audiobook. And... Uh, there's one bit that really spoke to me for this morning. And it's set in a time when the 24-7 prayer movement has just reached its 15-year anniversary. And uh, for their 15-year anniversary, they were offered the cathedral in Vienna, in the center of Vienna. And so they decided, yeah, we're going to take up this offer. We're going to fly out to Vienna to celebrate our 15 years of this movement. And um, this is Pete Gregg who is one of the founders of 24-7 Prayer, speaking about that moment when they were in Vienna celebrating the 15 years. So I'm going to just bring Pete into our service. How on earth did we get here, I wondered. All we ever did was hide ourselves away to pray in a backstreet warehouse in a nowhere town. We didn't know anyone famous. We, we didn't have any money. We didn't have a plan. We weren't even trying to start a movement. And yet here we were, 15 years later, thousands of us gathered from many nations, getting photobombed by the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Pope. The impetus behind 24-7 prayer has been, I think, just the word yes. For 15 years, we have simply been saying yes to Jesus again, and again, even when it didn't make sense, even when it hurt. He told us to pray night and day, and we said yes. He sent us to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we said yes. He told us to trust him for money, and we said yes. We kept saying yes, even when the zeros multiplied. He invited us to start missional and monastic communities, and we said Yes, he sent John and Mindy Peterson to Amsterdam and Brian and Tracy Heasley to Ibiza and Kelly Tietzel to Boystown and us to 
Kansas City, and we all just said yes. He told us to prioritize the poor and promised us palaces, and we said yes. That's how it happened. Our roadmap to Vienna had been nothing more complicated than 15 years of saying yes, okay, and amen. We tend to assume that the greatest risks in life await those zealots who pick up their crosses, pack their bags, and abandon themselves to the call of the wild. But the previous 15 years have taught me something else. Saying no to the Holy Spirit is far more dangerous than the alternative. By saying no to God's leadership in your life, you will miss out on the actual reason for which you were born. You will quietly live a second-rate life, sometimes sensing the missed opportunities, feeling unfulfilled like an actor waiting to perform without knowing why. When you become a Christian, you take your first step out of futility and into your destiny. When you keep surrendering your life, your plans, your preferences, again and again to the Lordship of Jesus, saying yes to whatever he says, you look around one day blinking in amazement at the ways that he has deployed you and the places he has taken you <coughs> and the person he is enabling you to become. So God is looking for our yes again and again and again, that he may sanctify us, that he may set us apart for the kingdom purposes he has for each of us. And what I want to see in this series is that he's not just invited us all to live set apart, he's made provision for us too, uh, to build our confidence and to help us to live with yes as our natural response. So he's given us some incredibly powerful examples in his word, He's given us some clear promises to stand on. He's given us some spiritual gifts that strengthen our resolve and raise our faith. He's given us some practices that can help us to stay on course. So we're going to spend time over the next few weeks looking at these and building our confidence to live sanctified lives. We're going to look at how altars played a part in the lives of those who set themselves apart for God. And how we can have altars in our own lives. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit sets us apart and empowers us to experience his glorious presence and promises. We're going to look at the blood of Jesus. And how the blood sets us apart from everything that would rob us of this sanctified life. And set, keeps us free to say yes to God. We're going to look at simple faith. Childlike faith. And how simple faith can create opportunities to see God move in all kinds of ways. But I'm going to say it again, it begins with a decision. It begins with a decision to agree with whatever idea God puts before us. And that's what I want to start with today. This need to respond to God was illustrated beautifully in the film about the P.T. Barnum story, The Greatest Showman. Hands up if you've seen The Greatest Showman. Come on, I bet there's more of you. There you go. That's probably about three quarters of you. 
The writers added a fictional character called Philip Carlyle, a distinguished playwright who was respected by high society and doing well by most people's standards. But inwardly, he was bored, he was frustrated, he was longing for something more. And then P.T. Barnum, Barnum catches him after the show and he sees his frustration and he invites him to come away from his secure and predictable life in order to run away with the circus. And that's a great illustration of what it is that we're looking at here when God comes in and catches us from our, our, our respectable yet sometimes boring lives and says, do you want to run away with me and we'll do something a little bit more interesting? And he... By doing so, he would get completely disinherited and he would lose everything that he's built, but what he would get is freedom and an opportunity to do something new and it would, in a way that makes him come alive. And in the end, it's an offer he can't refuse, so he cuts a deal with P.T. Barnum and agrees to take 10% of his show and the two of them start work together. Rather than selling virtue to the highbrows, instead, they are working with a show that is transforming people from the, the, the worst end of society, those who feel the least and the last and those who could never be even presentable and making them glorious for the show. And he is more attracted to that than what he was doing before. We were never called to live boring Philip Carlyle-type existences, selling virtue to the highbrows. A life trapped in rules and regulations and dress codes. We were called to step apart from all of that and enjoy this glorious kingdom where everybody can be extraordinary, regardless of who they are, what their background has been, how they feel. God is full of proposals and ideas for you and me to be a part of. But he can't make you join him. We all have to cut a deal with God and to let go of false securities, and to get involved. So I want to give us all the opportunity this morning to bring our lives before God afresh. To ask God to start speaking to each of us afresh and calling us further into his plans. So let's stand. talking about is about being set apart and being willing to move from where we are to where God wants us to be with our, our trust wholeheartedly in him for the details, for the provision, to make us the people we need to be to stand where he wants us to stand. It's a trust exercise and we can't stay where we are surrounded by our trappings, relying on the things that we currently rely on in order to go where God wants us to be. Are you with me? <coughs> So we need to make a choice and we need to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. So I want to encourage all of you, if you want to, to throw your lives into his hands again. Afresh today. To accept the invitation that he's coming in to give to you. Because it's not just a once in a lifetime thing. God will come again and again and again in your life and say, right, right now, are you willing to be sanctified unto me? It's not just something that happens once upon a time. It's something we choose to walk in. And it's easy. If those of you who feel that like you've slipped back into a Philip Carlyle type existence, where you're doing all the right things and you're carrying the respect of everybody, but you're a bit bored, 
now is a great time to say, God, would you come and just guide my life into your purposes in a way that is just going to make me 